0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. I want you to consider this. When I was at school, and really just throughout my life growing up, I um. I didn't really have many fights, I didn't have many fights. Um, I heard Duncan, pastor down in Roehampton say the other day, he finds it strange when he hears people say that because he was fighting all the time. <laughs> but that wasn't my portion. I mean, apart from the fact that I was a coward, I think that maybe because I had a little bit of size, because I had a little bit of size, people like didn't really wanna get involved. It's not that I had anything to back it, it was just. <laughs> but um, there was one occasion when um, I, had, I got into an altercation, let's call it that, because it wasn't really a fight. It wasn't, you know, hammer and tongs, fists flying and blood splurting and black eyes and all that kind of thing. But basically, it was, it was the, the guy who was recognized to be or, or regarded as being the hardest guy in the school. Now, you know, going back at school, there's always those individuals that are recognized or regarded as being hard. It's either because they have a reputation for just, you know, doing people harm, or they're just kind of nuts. And so people don't really just mess about with them because they're that kind of person. They're about that life. And um, this day, it was random. It was entirely random because this individual, and I, I can't remember, I think his name was Tommy. He just picked on me when, as I was standing outside a classroom with my friends, for no reason. And we, we had a good relationship. We were cool. I must have been in about year eight. Um, and we, you know, we'd been in school for a couple of years together. And then on this particular day, he just turned on me. And everybody was flabbergasted. No one more than me. It's was like, what is... And I was, for like, f- the first five minutes, I was just kind of wondering, is this actually happening? And I'm like, bro, and he turned on me and he got more and more aggressive the, the more I tried to kind of back up and it was like, no, no, we don't need to get into this, it's okay. And I actually stood there thinking, has he been sniffing glue? Is he on something? Because it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And he was determined to have a fight with me. And I was determined not to have a fight with him. And it wasn't even just because he had a reputation for hurting people. It wasn't just because he was known to be kind of loopy. Like like he was a guy who would, I mean, the the experience in and of itself showed that this guy would just switch at the drop of a penny and it was you didn't even know what was going on. And he was known for being like that. But the thing in my mind was, if we get into this, it's never gonna end. And he's the kind of guy who will bring a knife into school to stab you up if you if you get the better of him so I was determined I'm not gonna fight you I don't want to fight you and I kept saying it I don't want to fight you like what are we doing this is nuts and he grabbed me up and he gave me some blows in the top of my head and I was just pushing him off and I was like I don't want to fight you and in the end thankfully it didn't escalate into anything more than that and you know there's that point where I got emotional and there was the uh, after he kind of went off, I was standing there with my friends and it was in the lunchtime waiting for the teacher to come and so on. I got emotional and, and the, the tears start coming to the eyes. And you know when you're trying to hold it. <laughs> and, and your friends are just rubbing it in. Make, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> and, they, and and really, truly, really, there were tears of anger because I really didn't understand what was hap- what had happened just then. But I was so grateful that I didn't fight. And I think for a lot of people, we don't like fighting. We don't like confrontation. We, we don't like getting into aggressive exchanges. Most people, now there are some people who, you know what, you're mad at the world, innit? <laughs> you're just angry and any opportunity to take it out on someone, you're gonna welcome that. I take you as an exception to the rule, because most people are are not like that. We don't want to fight. And yet we see clearly from Scripture, every person born on the face of the planet is born into a war. And it is a war of immortal combat. And brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, We are called to fight. And so as I ask you to turn to Ephesians 6. (laughs) The ladies are like, whoo, part two. (laughs) I'm going to pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do recognize that as much as we may have an aversion to as much as we may not want to engage in fighting, engage in warfare, there is a warfare that you've called us to. There is a war of immortal combat that wages for the souls of men. And even for us, Lord, who are yours, we are called to engage in this combat. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us today as we give consideration to that which you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Ephesians 6. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 12. Trying to keep it focused. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In Ephesians, we see Paul's manifesto for God's new society, his new people. And as he goes through the chapters of Ephesians, By the Spirit, he uses certain metaphors that gives us a a revelation of understanding who we are as the church. And so in chapter 1, we see Paul give a revelation of the church as a family in verse 5. In chapter 2, the revelation of the church as the temple, the holy house of God. In chapter 3... The revelation of the church as inheritors, as heirs in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, we see the revelation of the church as the body. And in chapter 5, we see the revelation of the church as the bride. But as we come into chapter 6, we see a crucial aspect of the life of the church that we cannot afford to neglect or ignore that we cannot afford to overlook. And that is the fact that we, as the church, are an army. The people of God are an army. And in Christ, we have been enlisted into this army and called to wage war. As I mentioned before, every person born on the face of this planet is born into a war. A war that has gone on before time began. It is a war of immortal combat. In verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We see three things communicated. Those who are able to fight must do so. Those who are not in the Lord cannot fight. And yet the joy is that the war has already been won. Those who are able to fight must do so. So as Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians, in light of all that he says, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is a call to arms. This is a call for the people of God to rise up and take their place in the army of God. Do you recognize that you're in an army? I once shared a quote that I heard that impacted me many years ago. Um, a brother called Don McClure from Calvary Chapel in California, um, he shared this quote. He said, so many of us as Christians live like we're on holiday when we're in a war zone. You may remember when we done Second Timothy, Defend, Contend. I showed the clip of the couple who thought they were on a ferry in their car, sandwiches out, flask of tea only to find that they were on an aircraft carrier. Sitting down, eating sandwiches and sipping tea, thinking they're going to Calais, when they're going into battle. (laughs) Should have gone to Specsavers, right? (laughs) The reality is that every one of us are in a war. We've been enlisted into the army and we must fight. There's no choice. And yet we see that only those in the Lord can fight, be strong in the Lord. There is no strength apart from the strength in the Lord. That means in relationship with the Lord. And for those of us today who are in the Lord, that strength is not one of human ability. It's not one of natural capability human devices, and ingenuity. It's not based on how intelligent we are. It's not based on how streetwise we are. I know the roads. We can do this. It's not based on our family heritage or connections or what friends we know. When we were in the world, we may have prided ourselves on being able to just go to the front of the line at clubs because we know the doorman or we know the owner. We might have been very um, delighted to be able to just drive our car straight onto the forecourt of 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 the car wash, avoiding all of the queuing cars because we had a connection. You know, they say in life, it's not what you know, but who you know. But in this case, as far as the war we're called to, It's not based on who we know in an earthly sense. It's based on who we know in the spiritual sense. You see, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, the human existence, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so as we recognize that we're enlisted in this war, we have to appreciate that we're fighting a battle on a different front. This is not the ordinary kind of war that people engage in. And it is one that is only able to be fought by those who are in the Lord according to his provisions. Be strong in the Lord. So many times we feel the heat of that battle as Christians. We feel the intensity of it. And in the most intense moments, we are tempted to try and rely on other means of confronting this challenge, this enemy that is before us. For some of us, we look at our own characters and we're just like, Lord, help me. I, since I've become a Christian, I seem to be becoming more, um, less like Jesus than I, am, than I was before. You know what? Maybe I need to kind of um, subscribe to Oprah's book club. Real talk, yeah? And so we're like... The Bible don't seem to be working for me. Let me sign up to O. (laughs) And let me get the, the, because she's always got something sensible to say. I mean, tell it to Oprah, right? You can replace Oprah with the magazine or periodical of your choice, your favorite blog. But so often we can be tempted to look to other things for strength. We're called to be strong in the Lord. The second thing we see is that those who are not in the Lord can't fight. This is deep. There isn't even a battle to fight if you're not in Christ. If you're not in relationship with God through having repented and put your trust in Jesus for salvation. You have literally don't have a leg to stand on. You see? The reality is that those who are not in the Lord can't fight, not just because Satan is greater than any mere human. We look at ourselves and we look at all of our achievements and our accomplishments and we look at human history and we say, you know what? We've, we're really something, you know? Like as, as people, we can do so much, and we have done so much. We put a man on the moon, and we've got a world wide web, and we've got, you know, hospitals providing cures for all kinds of conditions. And we think about all of these things, and we get a misguided view of our capacity and our ability, particularly when it comes to conquering evil. There is actually... We have to appreciate, look, the devil has been around longer than people. He has been around longer than people. When people were put in the garden, so Adam and Eve were there, we don't understand fully where he came from, but we knew Satan met them in the garden. And Satan already had them sussed. He knew how to approach Adam and Eve. In the first instance, it wasn't even Adam and Eve. He knew he weren't trying to go to Adam first. He went to Eve. Exploiting vulnerability that they didn't even know they had. And the reality is that when an individual tries to come against evil in our own strength, when an individual tries to come against evil apart from God, Satan will just take his time and pick you off. Someone who is not in the Lord cannot fight this fight. We hear the, the campaign against knives and guns on the street. And we know that it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one that touches our very own hearts and souls. It's like I was speaking with Pastor Robin in a week and it was just like, you know what, when we think about it, and the more we think about it, the more apparent it is that the only answer is Jesus Christ. The only answer is Jesus Christ. And you know what? You don't even have to know all of the statistics of how many have died and what has been done to try and prevent it. You just look throughout human history. And you see simply that actually as any individual comes to a place of prominence or power, the sin that lies within causes that power to be corruptly administered. But there's a deeper reason. There's a deeper reason for the fact that those who are not in the Lord can't fight this fight. And it's simply because you're already on the devil's team. You're already on his team. And this was made clear from Scripture. And this is to the person who is obviously not in right relationship with God through Jesus. Your life's not submitted to God in Christ. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work around the sons of disobedience. No, it doesn't say that. It says the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan is the God of this world. Jesus made that clear in the Gospels. And the spirit of Satan is at work in all who are in disobedience to God by not submitting to Christ as Lord. Now, that's not where the issue started for those who are not in Christ Jesus. That isn't the point at which people became a part of Satan's team, a part of his entourage. We go back to Genesis 3.15 and we see the root of the issue. And some have called this the, the doctrine of the antithesis or seed theology. Genesis three verse fifteen. As God responded to Satan for his temptation of Eve, he said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity is, a, is an attitude of persistent hostility and war. Related to the word enemy. I will make you enemies. Enemies. and between your offspring and her offspring. And so God is prophesying, and this is regarded as the, the, the first foreshadow, the first echo of the gospel. God is prophesying the hostility between, not just Satan, but notice it says, your offspring, he's speaking to the devil, your seed and her seed now you've heard it before biologically speaking uh, a woman doesn't contain a seed she contains an egg and so this was again an allusion to the miraculous virgin birth by which the messiah would come into the world and so christ is the seed of the woman and there is Uh, 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 an enemy-like relationship between Christ and his people and Satan and his people. This is what God says here in the Word. And so we have to appreciate that we have to treat people not merely according to our human relationships and the dynamic of our human relationships, but on the basis of God's word. And so, all who are not in Christ Jesus are by default the seed of Satan and unable to fight against him. They're in his camp. Ephesians 2 said that They follow him like the Pied Piper. He plays the tune and they come dancing. And such were some of us. So we can't even look at them like we're any better than them because we were once in that place before submitting to Christ and it's only by his grace and not of ourselves that we're saved. So how are we any better than them? No, God is great. And he's worthy to be praised. Amen. And yet, that relationship exists between the seed of Satan and the seed of God in Christ Jesus. And there is an enmity there. And so, however reasonable our relationships, however deep the affinity we have, however you know, um, friendly and, and brotherly is our relationship, at the root, at the core, there's something that comes between us. And it's the very same thing that comes between them and God. Now, I know that I need to qualify this further. So I want to take you to to John chapter 8, verses 42 and 44. And we're going to be looking at a few cross-references, but um, hopefully the guys will be able to keep you tracking on the screen so you don't have to turn, 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 turn unless you choose to. Some of these scriptures you might want to highlight and, and mark in your, your Bible, electronic or otherwise. John 8, 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. So there's no gray area. There's no middle ground. It's either, you you say you love God, it's either you love Christ and you're for him or you're against him. There's no middle ground gray area. Well, you know, I love God, but Jesus is a bit hard to get down with. No. Tramp said, Trying to have the, the father without the son is like trying to buy a Prada without the funds. It's not going to happen. If God were your father, you would love me, Jesus said. You are of your father, the devil. Sorry, this is verse 44 now. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He was speaking to the religious. He wasn't even speaking to the prostitutes and the extortioners and the robbers, which they had in abundance in those days. Don't think because it was first century Jerusalem, you know, Judea, that they didn't have those things going on. We see that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Brother's walking on the road to Jericho, he gets licked down. Nothing new under the sun, right? But Jesus wasn't even speaking to those, he was speaking to the religious, who thought they were cool with God, who thought they were right with God. But their problem was they didn't receive him. And so, for the individual who has not received Christ and submitted your life to his Lordship, you know what? You're not in God and you're not able to be strong in the Lord. But you have opportunity to be. Because Jesus said, All who come to me, I will not turn away. And so, Jesus invites you to come, to come. Submit your life and receive forgiveness of sins and be made right with him so that you can stand strong in the Lord against evil, against wickedness, against the sinful works of Satan. Apart from that, you have no hope. The third thing we see in this verse the great joy is that the war has already been won. The great joy is that the, 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 the war that we've been born into and the battle that we've been enlisted to fight, Ephesians 6.10, indicates it's already been won. Why would I say that in light of Ephesians 6.10? Be strong in the Lord and, and in the power of his might and the power of his might So in the Lord and in the power of what Now how mighty is God How much Half mighty? Full mighty. (laughs) Amen. God is almighty. So if we are going to be strengthened by the power of his might, which is limitless, which knows no bounds, by which he has conquered the devil already, the battle's been won. Can we lose? We can't lose. Praise be to God. And so this isn't like me fighting my friend and thinking, okay, well, if I fight this guy, it's never going to end. There's going to be a point when I lose because if if I knock him out, he's going to get a chair for me when I'm not looking. And if I block the chair, he's going to get a knife for me. And this is just going to be a relentless battle that's never going to end. So it's better I just lay down and die. And sometimes we feel like that as Christians. We just feel like, oh, Lord, just take me home, man. I can't deal with this no more. Rowan, pass me over. (laughs) Anthony Hamilton, right? (laughs) If (laughs) you see me sleeping. Yeah. Some of you, that's your, your tune. You got it on repeat. Just like, Lord, let the world disappear. Just leave me, let me be. Let me sleep. I've been there. I know that feeling. But we're called to fight a fight we can't lose. The battle's already been won. God is almighty. The the opposition, the enemy has nothing on him. Can't bring nothing. And we are strong in him and in his power. Listen, oh my gosh. We're fighting a battle that we can't lose. Be encouraged, saints. It don't matter how hot the heat you know what? Jesus is that holy asbestos suit. That robe of righteousness is just lined with that, that asbestos that don't kill you. You know? <laughs> you know, back in the 80s they was going through all of the schools and everything like just tearing out the no. Nah. But it's that flame-proof suit that we walk in. That is like oh, thank you, my brother, preach with me. That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Amen. You know what, Lord? I'm going into the fire because I know you're good and you'll deliver me. And even if you don't, I'm going in. That's how we face this fight. We can't lose. Now, verse 11 tells us how we are to approach this. And in approaching this, we mustn't be slack because we are called to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. And you see, the reality is the picture that is given here is of a Roman soldier. And Paul was in Ephesus, which was a leading Roman colony. And it was a place where there was a Roman garrison. And he was very familiar as a Roman citizen with the ways of the Roman army. And so were the people. And so when he gives a picture of the armor later on, Essential to their equipment. And Paul is saying, Look, if any aspect is missing, if any element is missing, you are now left vulnerable to the schemes of Satan. Because he says we must put on the whole armor of God. Why? That we may be able to stand against the schemes of Satan. Satan ain't got no love for you, Satan ain't got no ounce of mercy. Satan has got no degree of compassion. But you know what? He's defeated. Amen. And God has made provision for us to withstand him, to stand against him. And the provision is in Christ Jesus. And you look at every aspect of the armor and you can equate it to Christ. Whether it be the helmet of salvation, Christ is our salvation. Whether it be the belt of truth, Christ is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Amen? Whether it be the the, the, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. The sword. The sword that is swung by the Spirit. The Word. Who is the living Word? Faith. Who is our faith? Faith. As we take that shield to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, Jesus. So you see, as we stand in Christ, our lives submitted and yielded to Christ, we are able to withstand the devil. And you know, with in this era of vampire films and all kinds of you know promotion of evil in our society. There can be that sense for us as Christians that we're supposed to be scared of the devil. So that Someone said to me, we was here the other night sorting out the equipment to get, to get, to get moved out. It was late after 10. And um, before someone left, they said to me, so Pastor E, you're going to be all right? I was like, why not? They're like, you're going to be all right here in the dark. in this this big old church, this empty old church. I'm like, you don't know me really. (laughs) You know what? I think it was A.W. Tozer wrote a book and he said, I talk back to the devil. I've got nothing but back chat for the devil. Listen, and it's because what? Because I'm anything? No, because Jesus is everything. My strength and my shield. And so we don't have to be afraid of the devil. We are to withstand him. We are to oppose him. We're not even supposed to be on the defensive, you know. Because the Roman soldiers, they never conquered the world being on the defensive. They had many aspects of defensive armor, but they were always pushing forward. Even the shield, which was seen as a a defensive element, had a, a, a huge, like, um metal like ball in the middle of the shield so that as they got into close quarters with people, they could even use their shield, this, this, this defensive item, to crack man's head. They weren't looking to just try and hold, hold their corner. And so this battle that we're called to is one that takes territory in Christ, righteously. And so, in the strength of his might, we rejoice. The war has already been won. In Colossians 2.15, we see the expression of that might in Christ Jesus that tells us he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In him in Christ God made a mockery of the devil and his hordes Can you imagine you see that scene where you got the Japanese master and he's getting tested by the little upstart that thinks he's got you know he knows a couple moves and he's been been doing his kung fu for a. Uh, uh, any of you used to watch kung fu films that like sneaking monkey shadow and listen, the drunken master. And, the... and it's like, be, you'd see the subtitles and there'd be like a whole string of words and they'd just say, yes. <laughs> I used to love them films. Listen. Or, or you used to watch um, um, Monkey when it used to come on, on TV with Tripitaka. Tripitaka! Listen. And you would have that part where you got the, the master, sensei, and he would be there and the upstart would want to test him. And you're just like, nah, no, this is going to end horribly. And you're just willing the, 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 young, the young one to just like, just be cool, man, just be easy, don't, don't get involved. And the master just stands there like this. His eyes are even closed sometimes, right? He's not even looking just to make it even worse. And then the young upstart is like goading him and like, oh, come on, you can't do anything to me. And I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> I'm going to kick you up. And, oh, no, 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 and all of the talk, and all of the talk. And then the, the upstart, is like, he's, he's gassed himself now and he's like, okay, I'm going to go for my move. And he goes. And he's he don't even open his eyes. And two twos, before you know it, it's all over. The young one's in a heap. (laughs) Mad overacted, right? Always. (laughs) On the floor. In a heap. Messed up. Since he ain't even broken a sweat. Listen. God has openly mocked the devil, made an open shame. And you see, kings would do this when they returned from battle, and this is that kind of war talk, because they would return with the spoils of war, and they'd have all of the captives in a train behind them, and if they spared the life of the, of the ruler, they'd have him in shackles being dragged along, and everybody in the city would just come out and watch the, 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 the victorious army returning with their captors and the spoils of war. And they'd all be cheering and laughing at the victims. And this is what we see here in Colossians 2.15. Christ has put the devil and all his hordes to open shame. Mocked. Has triumphed over them. We fight in this battle that we can't lose. And yet, as we put on the whole armor of God, we are to stand against the schemes of the devil. And sometimes I wonder if, for us, we lose sight of the scheming nature of Satan. I wonder if we don't appreciate his agenda and the way that he works. Maybe because we've come from a background where that, that type of teaching was overemphasized and was abused to the point where we're now left thinking, okay, the way to oppose Satan is to shout at demonic spirits in the heavenlies. There are demonic spirits in the heavenlies, but that's not the way that we are told in scripture to respond to them. I remember being in prayer meetings where we would we would bind the spirit over Soho. <clears throat> and the penny dropped for me when I realised, but you know what, if we've really bound this spirit over Soho, how come Soho ain't changing? Because if this spirit is no no longer if this spirit is truly bound and it's no longer able to wage its war in, in Soho and all sex shops should be closing. Should be boards all through Soho. Cheap property. And it was because I was functioning in in the wrong understanding of scripture. My sword was defective. The sword is the word of God and our assault upon the enemy is based on and according to the word of God and the use of God's word. Rightly. So we see that in Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he use to fight or ward off Satan? The Word of God. And there were even points when Satan would try and bring the Word wrongly divided. Is it not written? If you cast yourself down, the angels will catch you and you will not hurt your foot upon a stone. Quoting scripture, you know, misquoting scripture. And so, let us not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Let us not be ignorant. In John 10.10, Jesus, exposing the schemes of Satan, said that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy to steal, kill, and destroy. He functions in a way that is contrary to the word, contrary to the purposes and plans of God. And he will attempt in the life of the believer to steal what is rightfully ours. And so often, we've allowed the devil to rob us of our joy. And we've allowed him to rob us of our peace, to rob us of our contentment, to rob us of our hope. And one of the most simple ways is to get us to take our eyes off Jesus, to shake our faith in the Lord and his word. In James it says that the trying of our faith works works patience. I was about to quote it, King James. Worketh patience. The trying of our faith. And when the enemy comes against us, fundamentally he's wanting to shake our faith, to rob us of our faith in the Lord. And yet, it's for us to put on the whole arm of, our armor of God and stand against him. It goes on in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I like the way it says it in the um, New King James, King James. It says, for we wrestle not. But it says, for we wrestle And the reason I like the way it's stated in that fashion is because it underlines the fact that we are in a tussle. This is a fight. There's no getting away from it. And it's not even pistols at dawn or long-range sniper shooting. This is hand-to-hand, cheek-to-cheek, face-to-face combat. We've got a friend um, in in the states. um, Myself, Pastor Rob. I think even maybe a couple of other guys may have met him, a guy called Jake. jake and Jake is a gentle giant. Now, when I say giant, he's not that tall, but he's broad. Hench! And he used to be a champion wrestler. And one of the distinctive characteristics that Jake has, apart from the great love that he has for the brethren, Absolutely beautiful guy. Is the fact that when you look at his ears, you know that my guy's been in some, is is he's been in some rough and tumble. What what they call they call them cauliflower ears, where his his ear lobes are just kind of like have been so rubbed and so um, squeezed constantly and intensely. Fix this. Sorry. It's it's, it's resulted in all of the definition in his earlobe just being blended and molded until it's just like it's it's just it's like rubber. Now that's championship wrestling life for you. You're up close, you're you're wrestling, struggling, tussling. we have to appreciate that that is the nature of the Christian life. It is that which we are called to. And yet, let me give you a picture that hopefully might encourage your heart as you wrestle with the works of the enemy and the challenges of life that oppose you. Our wrestling ultimately is supposed to be like Samson in Judges. You remember when they came upon Samson... So Delilah, like, connivingly, devilishly deceived him. Oh, Samson, tell me the secret of your strength. <laughs> In a very sultry voice. If she could sing, she would have sing like Anita Baker. <laughs> Sweet love. And she she's there wooing him, and he tells her some fabricated or uh, whatever. The strength is if they tie me with fresh cords that have never been used, they will overpower me. And so she tells them, and they're like, okay, cool. When he's sleeping, tie him with these fresh cords, new brand Hessian cords, never been used. So they tie Samson, and then as they come to get him, she cries out, "Samson, the Philistines are upon you." Samson didn't stay there struggling, struggling, struggling with the cords. It says that the cords just dropped off him like they melted. <laughs> and repeatedly, we see that, and we appreciate that this is the victory. It's a picture of the victory that we have in Christ, Christ took the devil's best shot somebody once said the devil's best shot against Christ was to kill him Christ's greatest weapon against the devil was to die it's like that moment at the end of Matrix it must have been three I guess and agent you ain't seen it Bruv, you take too long to watch the film, man. I've got to talk it out. I'm sorry. I've got to talk it out, bruv. It's years old now. I can't help you. Block your ears. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the film, right? <laughs> you see, you make me feel bad now because I love you, innit? <laughs> I know you ain't even going to watch it anyway. <laughs> at the end of the film, Agent, what's his name? Smith. Agent Smith. Mr. Anderson. Finally. And so he puts his hand in him. And basically, Neo becomes Agent Smith. Everyone's like, no, no, it's all over. What happened to Zion? What happened to the promise? Neo, you're the chosen one. Neo. And everyone's like, oh. And he's standing there, and he's now the picture of evil. But then, two twos, there's a rumbling. And they just, just, he starts body popping. And then there's an explosion, and near. Bro, did I did I mash up the film? Yeah. Anyway, too bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he 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 wages the victory from within. He takes the worst, and yet defeats the enemy. And we see that this is what Christ has done. And so in our wrestling we wrestle in Christ's strength. But we must not make the mistake of thinking that we wrestle against humans, against flesh and blood. And I think for so many of us, we do make that mistake. And when we're going through issues, especially relational issues, we're looking at it like it's the person. And we end up finding ourselves in a place where we begin to have resentment, and we begin to have bitterness, and we begin to have malice, and we allow the devil to rob us of our peace and our contentment and our joy because we're now in a state of animosity towards an individual who, ultimately, they're just being used. You know what? Look at Peter and Jesus in the garden. And Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's in the garden, and Peter says, No, Lord, never. I'll die first. And in that instant, Jesus recognized that Satan was attempting to use Peter. See, we might not fight against flesh and blood, but the devil uses flesh and blood. The devil will use people. And that doesn't even mean that Peter was devilish in the way that Judas was. Because Jesus said, you know what? The devil sought to sift you, but I prayed for you. And so because the devil may use someone, that don't all of a sudden write them off. Mm. Yeah, I always knew they was into Obia. (laughs) No, call themselves a Christian. But the reality is that Satan can get into and use anyone to some extent or another. And especially those who are not the Lord's. So... Let us appreciate that, okay, we may fight an enemy we cannot see. We don't fight against material enemies. And it may be easier to fight someone, to fight people, because we can see them. And they become the object of our response. Let us hold in mind, we do not fight against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, hmm. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, there are a host of Of evil spirits under Satan's command. And they're highly organized and they're very focused. And because we have the victory in Christ, let us not underestimate the schemes of Satan. And yet, all of these have been defeated. And Paul was very aware of these demonic hosts, these demonic hordes. He was speaking to the Ephesians, and it was in Ephesus that he experienced the demonic manifestation through a slave girl in Acts chapter 16. And he it, it was walking around for three days with this girl following him, saying, These are the men of God, listen to them. But his spirit was troubled. And by the Holy Spirit, he had the discerning of spirits and recognized that this was not of God. And this girl was not speaking by the Spirit of God, but by a demonic spirit. And it says in Acts 16 that he cast that spirit. He said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And it didn't happen instantly, but it happened. In Acts chapter 19, again in Ephesus... The, the seven sons of Sceva were trying to cast out demons and they come across a demon-possessed man and they said, come out in the name of him who Paul preaches. And the, the spirit inside the man said, huh, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who the dickens are you? (laughs) And the spirit in the man used the man to turn on them, seven of them, you know, and this one man. And he beat them and he ran them out. And yet, that was to the glory of Christ because even the demons confessed their knowledge of Christ's supremacy. Well, these spiritual realities are very real. And as much as it may be somewhat of a forgotten teaching to us, or it may be a teaching that we've distanced ourselves from because of the overemphasis and the abuse, it's Bible. And we must not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And we must be prayerful, and we must be submitted to Christ Recognising we don't fight. And so often there's infighting and we're fighting against one another and the devil's just there laughing, stirring it up, mixing it up and gossip here and slander here and so 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 here. And... and it's because we're not recognising, hmm, there's something more sinister at work here. It's not my brother that is the issue. It's not my sister that is the issue. But as I submit and I extend forgiveness, and I, and, I, and I respond with the word of God, Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath. So let me not just while out, but let me just respond in, in, in me. Furthermore, let me even consider my own bad. Giving up our right for wrong. And we respond according to the word in a Christ-like fashion. We see the enemy amongst us defeated and set to flight and far too often we we condone and we accommodate the sinful works of satan even by responding wrongly and so throughout the scriptures we appreciate that the warfare has been consistent from the garden adam and eve standing in the presence of Satan as manifesting through a snake. And they flopped. And they didn't submit to God and his word. They yielded to the voice of Satan and plunged humanity into a state of sin where all who came to follow would need to be redeemed from the family of Satan. And we thank God, our Father, for sending Christ, the Redeemer, through whom we have been redeemed in repentant faith. And now have the victory. Amen? Amen. Battle after battle. whether it was Jehoshaphat, as we looked at in 2 Chronicles 20, against the alliance, didn't even have to utter a word. God went before them because our God is the Lord of hosts who fights on behalf of his people, who has defeated the enemy. We look at Jericho as Joshua and the armies of God went to take the city. They didn't, they didn't even swing one sword. The walls came down. They walked in and took the place. Hmm. Consistently we see God throughout the ages. Could speak of Gideon. Could speak of David and Goliath. And yet we recognize that. Every victory pointed to Christ, the victor. Who would achieve the ultimate victory on our part, on our behalf. Surely we serve a great God. Who has enlisted us onto the winning team. And so let us, like those in Nehemiah, take up the sword with one hand even as we have the building shovel in the other and be ready to fight. Jesus said this in Matthew 12. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? But if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus has bound the strong man, ransacked the devil's house, and set the captives free. Let's stand. Lord God, we praise you and we give you thanks. We give you all glory and honor because Lord, not only have you called us, not only have you redeemed us, yes, Lord, you've enlisted us to fight, but to fight a fight we can't lose. And Lord, I pray that you would that you'd forgive us of our reluctance, that you'd forgive us, Lord, of our faithlessness, that, Lord, you would forgive us for our double-mindedness in engaging with this battle. We thank you that you're a mighty deliverer. We thank you, Jesus, for defeating Satan and putting the devil and all of his hosts to open shame, open mockery. We thank you, Lord, because we recognize that you've done so for us in order that the Father be glorified in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord.